Well, good morning, everyone. And I wish you all the best. And a big congratulations to all those who have finished this, uh, this journey here at the seminary. We should start by giving thanks to God, shouldn't we? To God be the glory for what he's done and for the strength that he's given you. God is good all the time. God is good. Now, I don't know about in England, but this is how we do it. And I, I need to teach you this. God is good, and you say, all the time. And then I say, all the time, and you say, God is good. Let's do it once more. God is good all the time. Thank you. That's better. Yes. God is good all the time. Wow. Wow. So really, we're just starting at the seminary, aren't we? You know, it took me four years to finish my bachelor's, and I was a bachelor at the end of it in both senses. Um, yeah, I'd spent three years doing my master's and didn't feel a master at the end of that. It took me eight years to do my PhD part-time, because I was distracted by three churches, a family, uh, and pets. Um, and after all of that, I celebrated big style as far as my budget would allow. Yeah, I celebrated with a bag of fish and chips. Now... You know, I do not recommend that you celebrate here in the same way. It would just seem wrong for me to advise you to go to Long John Silver. You know, it just seems deeply wrong. But uh, that was one of the great disappointments in my life when I went there. My expectations were so high. But um, I don't know what your expectations were when you came here, but my prayer is, is that God has blessed you in your studies. Let us pray before we open God's word. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that as we turn to your word now, that you will speak to us through the words of Jesus to his disciples. May they be his words to us this morning. Bless me with your spirit. Anoint my lips, I pray in your name. Amen. Well, my verse for this morning is from the Gospel of John, verse 33 of chapter 16. And let me read this in your hearing. John 16, verse 33. I have said this to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you face persecution. But take courage. I have conquered the world. The disciples are facing a period of transition. They've spent three years with Jesus, and Jesus is now preparing them for his departure. For the next ex chapter in their experience. And he shares with them an extended discourse, four chapters long. Chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16. And then after chapter 16, we have chapter 17, which is a concluding prayer between Jesus and his father. And Jesus concludes his discourse to the disciples, his last lecture to the disciples, with a final appeal. And this appeal is not to write more exegesis papers. It is not to read more. It is not to write more. It is not to strategize more. It's not to organize more. It's not to hold more committees. It's not to love more. It's not to hope more. It's not to believe more. It's to have courage. 
And my appeal to you this morning is the appeal of Jesus. As you enter into this next phase of your ministry, is to take courage. Now, what I have learned in my short life is that courage is not natural. You have to learn it. It is something that you have to pick up. And, you know, I grew up in the UK, and uh, we torture our pupils at school through sport. Uh, The Victorians came up with this game called rugby. It's like American football, but without all the girly helmets and stuff on. Okay? Um, And, um, you know, I mean, seriously, my dad, we used to go as kids. My dad used to take me uh, and my brother, my twin brother, to watch rugby matches. Um, And around the edge of the pitch were ex-players in their wheelchairs because they'd broken their necks. I mean, it was an incredibly dangerous job, uh, uh, game. And it was designed by the Victorians to toughen up young men to go out and serve in the British Empire. Well, we don't need them anymore for that. But my abiding memory of playing rugby is wet, cold, winter afternoons at school, out on a muddy pitch. And because, you know, I'm a twin, so... You get two for the price of one, but it means that you're shorter than normal humans. Uh, And I was always out on the wing, a wide receiver equivalent. Uh, And my abiding memory is of opponents twice my height running at full speed directly at me with the ball. And their one goal is not to go around me this way or around me this way, but it's to pass through me physically towards the line. And we've been taught, you know, you bravely dive in and you, you wrap them around their, their pumping thighs and then you slide down and pin their two ankles together as they keel over. Oh, not on your life. Now, for me, I stepped aside and tried to grab them by the hand and swung them. Yeah, that was how I tackled players. Yes. It, what rugby taught me was that courage is not natural. Fear is natural. Courage needs to be learned. This morning I would share with you two questions. Why is courage necessary? And how do we achieve it? Why is courage necessary? And how do we achieve it? Now, there are many reasons I could share with you as to why courage is necessary, especially for us as a Christian community. We, were, we have become, in my reading of our society, our Western rich society, we've become more risk-averse. Maybe it seems that the richer we are, the more we have to lose. So we become more risk-averse. In our culture, we have placed a minimum on courage and a maximum on avoidance of danger. If we were to undertake an assessment of Jesus' discourse in John's 14, 13, 14, 15, and 16, we would have to come to the conclusion that we would have to reject Jesus' mission on health and safety grounds. We also live in an age in which our ruling elites have lost their moral authority. They no longer have a moral vision to inspire society. And in such a situation, they rule partly through fear. Fear has become endemic in our society. 
Why is courage necessary? Let me share a number of specific reasons. First, courage is necessary because without it, all the other virtues come to nothing. The ancients were well aware of the importance of courage. In the Old Testament, Israel was exhorted to have courage in the Exodus. Joshua was, was exhorted to be strong and courageous as he entered the promised land. The ancients promoted four cardinal virtues. The virtue of wisdom, the application of knowledge in difficult decision-making situations, self-control, moderation, self-control, justice, or what we would call fairness maybe, and then finally, courage. C.S. Lewis writes in Mere Christianity that you cannot practice any of the other virtues very long without bringing one of this virtue, courage, into play. If you know the author Robert Louis Stevenson, he wrote the children's novel Treasure Island, he writes that courage is the footstool of the virtues upon which they stand. What is the point in believing in justice if you don't have the courage to act? All of your wisdom and learning that you pick up in seminary means nothing if you don't have courage to act upon it. All the, the self-discipline you develop, getting up early, going to bed late, being disciplined with your time, means nothing if you don't have courage to take it further. All of your high aspirations that you hold as you come to the end of your program with a conviction to spread the kingdom of God, to preach the third angel's message, to promote justice, goodness, righteousness, love, mercy, forgiveness, means nothing if you don't have courage to act. I know this. I worked as a pastor. Every day in the morning, you need courage to get up because you're entering into spiritual conflict with the kingdom of Satan. And when we read Jesus' discourse, what is the primary virtue that he uplifts? It is love. Love means nothing if you don't have courage to implement it. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. And you're telling me that doesn't require courage? Courage is the gas, even if you can afford it today. It's the gas that drives all the other virtues. Courage turns nice ideas and lofty ideals into reality. So without courage, our other virtues come to very little. Another reason why courage is necessary is that it helps us avoid certain vices. And I'm going to jump to Aristotle. He writes in his book on ethics that courage is the middle state between two dangerous vices. On the one hand is the vice of cowardice. Cowardice is when we are more afraid than we need to be in the face of a threat. The coward fears things when they are few in number and small in size, to quote Aristotle. You overestimate the danger of the threat. And when we read Jesus' discourse, we ask, who are the cowards? Now, courage is not the absence of fear. It's the mastery of it. And Jesus is encouraging us to master our fear. Listen to his words. Let not your heart be troubled. 
Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. Jesus is encouraging the disciples and through the disciples, he's encouraging us as readers to handle our fears and to master it so that we don't become the cowards. And who is the rash person? If courage is in the middle and we've got the coward on one side, on the other side we have the rash person. The rash person is the one who is less afraid than they should be. They underestimate the danger. Peter is rash. Peter says to Jesus, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Now, did he really understand what he was saying, what was required? No. And what seems to happen is that today's rash person can become tomorrow's coward. And it's played out with his denials. So courage is necessary because it strengthens the other virtues. It is necessary because it helps us avoid certain vices. Courage is also necessary because we serve in a world, according to Jesus, that has rejected, is rejecting, and will reject its king. To follow Jesus is to enter into a battle with the ruler of this world, Satan. It brings you into conflict with the world. If the world hates you, says Jesus, be aware that it hated me before it hated you. If you belong to the world, the world would love you. Therefore, the world hates you. What you've studied here at seminary is not neutral knowledge. It is countercultural, dangerous knowledge that is preparing you for spiritual warfare. It requires courage. Now, we might ask, was Jesus just being a little paranoid? Am I being a touch melodramatic? Well, in my own lifetime, I have seen, in the UK and the US is following hot on its foots, I have seen Christianity going from something that was generally approved as a positive influence in society to something that is despised, viewed as a threat. Why is it in the UK, and I don't know whether it's the same way here, but in the UK, if you are open about your faith, your Christianity, there are certain professions you can no longer work in. You think of the fields of psychology and psychiatry. And that should be a warning sign. Think of 1930s Germany when a certain ethnic group was excluded from certain professions. Should be a warning sign. Certain commentators have argued that in the US, we are moving into what Rob Dreher calls in his book, Live Not By Lies, into what he calls a pink totalitarianism. A system that achieves, through soft persecution, the goals historically achieved through extreme persecution in the past by red totalitarian police states. It is courage that we need as pastors in today's time, and it is courage that our church will need to survive. So those are some reasons as to why courage is necessary. How can we develop courage? I would share with you two reasons, uh, two ways. There's more, but this is what we can share this morning. First, we need to assess the situation, the threats correctly, so as to avoid rashness 
and cowardice. We need continuing education. This is not the end of your studies. This is just one stage. This is part of a process of discipleship, as Pastor Mo uh, Dr. Muscala, Pastor Mo Muscala uh, shared with us. It's just one step in God's formation of you, who you are. Listen to these passages from Jesus' discourse, the educational uh, uh, framing that he's sharing with us. And now I have told you, chapter 14, this before it occurs, so that when it does occur, you may believe. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. What you have learned at seminary is to contribute to a mental picture that will give you resilience when you encounter difficult and dangerous situations. Chapter 13, Jesus answered, You do not know now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Your understanding continues after graduation. The disciples spent three years with Jesus, and yet Jesus was not able to teach them everything he wanted. You're not the finished article. You're a work in progress. John 16, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. What you've learned on your program both reflects your capacity to learn as well as the ability of your professors to teach. You know, I spent quite a lot of my time teaching Greek, and I don't need the Holy Spirit to spend much time convincing me of the truth of this, these words. We all have a limited capacity. Jesus needs to teach us slowly. John 14, I have said these things to you while I am still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. You finish this program, guess what? I've got another one lined up for you with the Holy Spirit. He's going to be your program director. Three years with Jesus as program director, and now another program with the Holy Spirit lined up. What you have learned helps you to develop courage because it enables you to assess your situation with spiritual discernment. It helps you to avoid cowardice on the one hand and rashness on the other. Your education journey is just starting, not coming to an end. Another reason, way you can develop courage is to believe in the inherent goodness of your cause. The ancients believed that bravery is only courage when it's combined with other virtues. Was Judas brave? I think it took guts to do what he did, to betray your friends. You know what's interesting when you read the Gospel of John, these chapters? Jesus is not scared of the cross what upsets him most is not the threat of dying on the cross. It's the thought of the betrayal of Judas. That's what upsets and troubles his spirit most. You can be brave for an evil cause, for an unjust cause. That is not the same as courage. Think General Robert E. Lee in the American Civil War. Think German General Erwin Rommel. In World War II, courageous general, but for a wrong cause. 
bravery is only courageous when it is combined with a just and virtuous cause. And my prayer is, is that as you come to the end of your program, you have a conviction in the goodness of Seventh-day Adventism and of Christianity in general. Let me draw your attention to the goodness of our cause. In a world that thrives on division and fear, our mission is to join with the Father and the Spirit and Jesus in their relationship to, together. What Jesus does is open a window on the relationship he has with his Father and Holy Spirit, and he describes it in terms of how they talk to each other, how they respect each other, how they reveal their plans to each other, how they delegate jobs to each other, how they self-sacrifice for each other, or to summarize it in one word, how they love each other. And the miracle is, is that this unique community between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is not built with a wall around, but with a door that opens and invites you and me into that relationship. That is the goodness of our cause. Listen to these verses of Jesus, how he is opening the door and inviting us into the very community of the Trinity of the Godhead. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. John 14, they who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me, and those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. Again, John 14, those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with them. The ancient world assumed a world of powers competing against each other. Division and strife was at the heart of their cosmology. We live in an age of division. We live in an age of categorization and separatism. We categorize and separate in order to control. This mission shared by Jesus is the absolute antithesis to that. Jesus challenges us to work for the unity of love between parents and children. I'm challenging you to work for the unity of love between the different races. And I speak as someone in a mixed race marriage. Jesus challenges us to open that door and invite in people to experience the love, the unity of love between different tribes and communities. Work for the unity of love between different social, political, and economic groups. And if you have some spare time after doing that, work for the unity of love within the church. Let me conclude. Angus Fletcher in his recent book, Wonderworks, he describes how stories affect us as readers. And let me apply this to Jesus' discourse. He writes that stories draw us into a shared experience. Stories create a community identity. And when we participate in community, it gives us courage. 
United we stand, divided we fall. Community conveys courage. Jesus in John is pulling us into a shared experience with himself, with the Father, and with the Holy Spirit. And if that isn't going to give you courage, the one who has conquered the world, I have conquered the world, what else can give us courage? I shared with you my failings as a rugby player. Now, you know, it's not one of my great regrets, not becoming an international rugby player. Yeah. But it could have been so different. Now, I don't know whether, do we have anybody here from the islands? Anybody from Samoa? Anybody, yes? Well, you know, if you follow rugby, you know what happens at the start of a rugby match, international rugby match. If you're Samoan, the Samoan team does this. The Fijian team does this. The Tongan team do, does this. And maybe the greatest team for the last 30 years, the All Blacks from New Zealand. They line up in front of the opposition before kickoff. New Zealand is in three lines with someone leading, and they perform the hacker, a war dance, where rhythmically together they start stamping, slapping, chanting, shouting. What does it do? I mean, just Google it. I, you know, if, if we had some more time, I'd play it up on the screen. <laughs> I mean, it just it gets the back of your hair standing on edge. The hacker. It's designed to put fear in the opposition. I want to put fear in Satan's heart. And it reminds you that you're not playing as someone out on the wing on your own. You're part of a team, and that gives you courage. Jesus is in the Gospel of John and in Revelation, Dr. Stefanovic. He is our warrior prince. He is our warrior priest. Am I right? In Gethsemane, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus prays, if possible, let this cup be taken from me, but not, not, not in the Gospel of John. John 12, 27, now my soul is troubled. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, says Jesus. Now my soul is troubled. Fear, but Jesus conquers his fear. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it is for this reason I have come to this hour. Jesus faced the future with courage. Join with Jesus in his hacker against Satan and his kingdom. Let his courage become your courage. And my prayer is that your courage will become the church's courage because we live in an age where our churches are desperate for courageous leaders. May God give you the strength and may you avoid the pitfalls of rashness and cowardice and may you follow behind your warrior priest, your king, Jesus. Take courage. Thank you.